We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Eurostep podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Network. This is the uh, end of the West Coast road trip edition of the Eurostep. Uh, the Bucks return home to Milwaukee today after a 2-2 two and two split out West. 3-2 uh, and two if you include the, the win over the Bulls for the road trip in total. But uh, I'm Kane Pittman and I'm joined by the man on the herd beat, as always, Ty Windish. Uh, what's up, man? You know, the world is over now because the Bucks lost back-to-back games and they lost twice to the same team. So I think the meteors are coming any day. I think the end times are here. So, you know, I'm just trying to live my best life over these last few days, honestly. Yeah, it was fun while it lasted. And, uh, you know, like you said, I, I think now they've lost back-to-back games and same old Bucks, huh? Yeah, it's they're they're right back to their old losing loser ways. It's it's you hate to see it. Yeah, you do hate to see it, but the Bucks did lose back to back games for the first time in the season. It took until March four for for this to happen, which is is just I mean it's just ridiculous when you really think about that. It was something that we've all been following and tracking through the year, and 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 how. Um, savage their response has been to a loss or uh, a team that's beat them last time. But uh, they get the double whammy last night. They lose to uh, the Phoenix Suns, who coming into the night had the worst record in the NBA. The Bucks obviously had the best record in the NBA. Uh, the Bucks lose uh, to the Suns um, 114-105. Uh, and not only do they lose back-to-back games, but they lose to the Suns for the second time and... 
the worst team in the NBA sweeps the Bucks. It's just inexplicable. It's 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 honestly, I think it's funny. Uh, I think there are people. I, I've honestly, I feel like I've seen more people on my timeline getting worked up about people getting worked up than actual people getting worked up in the first place. I haven't seen too much like calamity talk. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. But I, I don't know. It's hard for me to care that much about the randomness of two regular season games against Phoenix that I'm sure the Bucks probably erroneously tried to sleep through. And, I mean, give credit where it's due. DeAndre Ayton and sort of Rashawn Holmes, but mostly DeAndre Ayton, did a great job defensively on Giannis. And I think, I think other teams would be smart to try to emulate that game plan of having an athletic big cover him rather than a more perimeter-oriented player. Yeah, I, I think that that you know for sure, Aiton uh, did a, did a superb job defensively. Uh, offensively, he caused some problems as well. That was the first time. Oh, I seen him live play when they were in Milwaukee. But uh, last night, where we were sitting at the game, where we you know we were basically uh, you know on, on the floor, that like center court, so you really get a better appreciation for how big these guys are. And and DeAndre Aiton, I, I tell you, for for a rookie, he is mature uh, physically, and and he's ready to go. And and he, he's hard to move, and I, I thought that he was super impressive. Um, but the Suns as a whole, uh, I think that it's it's easy to look past that team and, and, you know, how bad they have been through the year, only 13 wins coming in. But uh, they've got some guys that, that on their night um, can, can have a big game. And, and Kelly Oubre had 27 points, um, hit a really big three down the stretch. Uh, Aiton, we already spoke about. He had 19 and 12, and, and Devin Booker uh, hit some tough shots. He, you know, eight for 18 overall, but uh, he did what he did and, and hit some big shots, and particularly late. And there was two, there was two possessions there in the fourth quarter where uh, Bledsoe was doing such a great job of, of uh, getting over the screens as he does so well and forcing Booker into tough shots. But uh, you know, Booker was able to get Brogdon on him on a couple of possessions, which. I'm not sure why that happened or how that happened, if that was the complete breakdown, but Brogdon didn't have the ability to get around the, the eight and screen and it just freed up uh, Booker for one one big three in particular. And then on, on the on the other one, he got in the pick and roll with, with Aiton and he scored that, that really tough bucket off Giannis to, um, to almost seal the game. So, look, I, I think that, you know, like I said, the, this Suns team play with great energy. They're young. They've got a lot of athletes and... Uh, despite their record, at the end of a really, really tough road trip like that for the Bucks, third game in four nights, it's kind of a tough opposition to to come come up against. And uh, you know that might be weird to say, but um, you know they just again just ran out of ran out of gas late, the same as they did in Utah. Yeah, I think those things kind of just happen. Like you mentioned, you know, third ga- third game in four nights, and you know this isn't the only young team we've seen kind of play better recently. Uh, like the Bulls have done this too after getting Otto Porter. The Suns got Ubre. They, they didn't get, you know, uh, not, they haven't gotten good at all. They didn't get better than Abysmal right after getting Ubre. But I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of times these teams are bad all year and then either they get a new player or something clicks or they just plain and simple get sick and tired of losing. And all of a sudden they're not just that easy team to beat. And especially, I think bad teams, especially later in the year, pose a challenge because. You know, teams get a little worn out, the good teams. The bad teams are typically young, which means they oftentimes have a little more left in the tank. I think that was pretty evident when the, in the Suns-Bucks game. I mean, there's a lot of young guys on that team, and they just kept running. And, you know, no game is easy any any night, really, in the NBA. So, I mean, it, this was bound to happen. 
Yeah, look, I, I, I just, again, like when you, like the, and the Bucks players actually spoke about this when we asked them about this after the game. They, they were disappointed that they didn't, uh, uh, you know, keep this streak rolling of not losing back-to-back games. And, and Brooke Lopez actually sort of mentioned that. He said, you know, we, you know we, we got to the point where we did think we could get through the whole season without losing back-to-back games. And, you know, it is frustrating that we lost. But uh, the one thing I'll say about the Bucks team was that they were making no excuses for, for the loss. Brogdon, uh, Malcolm Brogdon in particular uh, just straight up said that they, they didn't respect the opposition and they didn't come ready to play. Um, I, I and and look, I, I'm not. I can't question. I can't question Brogdon telling me that if that's what he's saying, then you, then you take that on face value. But again, um, you know, when you look at the shooting numbers for, for a lot of these guys, uh, Chris Middleton could. I mean, just could not make anything. Oh. He's one for, one for thirteen on the night. Lopez, much the same, three for eleven. Uh, Bledsoe five for fifteen. Miritich had his worst game in Milwaukee, three for fourteen. So. Those four guys, basically your four primary scorers outside of uh, Giannis, uh, Brogdon's obviously in there as well. But those four guys shoot six for 32 from three and 12 for 53 uh, from the field. So, look, uh, they they didn't want to – and I, I, tr- I asked everyone and I just wanted to see because you could tell watching these guys that they looked tired. There was uncharacteristic turnovers. They were a step slow everywhere. The Suns had 10 block shots. Um the Bucks just didn't have that usual explosiveness that they did uh, get into get into the rack. So um, they wouldn't admit that the fatigue was an issue. But when you look at those numbers for all those guys that are jump shooting players, that would explain that there was probably some fatigue there. And that's not something we've seen a lot in terms of that many guys being off on one night. That's what's been a, a strong point for the Bucks is that if one or two guys are off, then two or three of the other guys uh, pitch in and, and and carry the carry the water for the team. But that but that didn't happen last night. They were all off, and and they just couldn't overcome that. No, and just one last thing here on the not losing back to back games. So the Warriors managed to do it in 2015-16, although <laughs> they did lose more than two back to back games in the finals that year, notably. Yeah. Um, but the the Chicago Bulls team that won 72 games, they they only made it till early February without losing back to back games. They did that before the All Star break. So you can be a really really great team and and happen to drop back to back games. It happens. Funny enough, the Bulls second loss, uh, the first for their first back to back loss that year, the second game was against the Phoenix Suns. There's a stat. <laughs> The Suns. That's just what they do. They were a little better then, but they, they were still under five hundred. It happens. People lose to the Suns. No, I always, I always, uh, you know, one one thing that I always point out when, um, you know, I know that the Bucks lost to the Suns earlier in the season, and um, you know, at that point in time, the Bucks were sort of going through a win loss win loss uh, stretch. But there was some, there was some Bucks fans that were really upset about that, and they thought that the Bucks, you know, obviously didn't didn't play up to uh, their capabilities that night. But, you know, this is what happens in the NBA. Sometimes bad teams beat good teams. And I always point to the Bucs beating the Warriors and breaking the streak. The Bucs were a bad team. Yeah. <laughs> and they beat that Warriors team that won 73 games. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's just one of those things that happens in the NBA. And in terms of, you know, some more of those shooting numbers, so the Bucs shoot 36% from the field. Uh, it's only the third time this season that they've shot under 37% from the field. The other two games were that disaster in Miami where they had the eight-point first quarter. And the other one was uh, against the Magic just before oh, the All-Star God. break where Orlando blew them out. So, you know, that that's a real anomaly for this, for this team to have numbers that bad 
And, uh, you know, at this point, uh, they shoot under 37%. They're 0-3. So, look, it's, when you look at the box score and and and, uh, and really analyze the game, you, you have to say that perhaps, um, you know, in the end, it, it could have been worse in terms of, in terms of the overall margin. Um, also for Chris Middleton, one for 13. Uh, I was curious because uh, we know that he's a controversial figure <laughs> with, with Bucks fans at the moment, and not so much about what he's doing right now, but what's going to happen later in the year. But you know, we, we've discussed that endlessly, so there's no point in getting into that. But for Middleton, uh, one for 13 last night. It's only the second time in his career that he's had at least 10 field goals uh, attempts and, and only made one. The other time was on the 24th of March, 2017. He also went one for 13 against Atlanta. <laughs> so. I had a lot of people saying that he does this all the time. This is who he is. It's the second time it's happened in his career. So, <laughs> I love doing that to yeah. people when they say when they when they throw out a generalization like that. And it's just like actually, literally, you're wrong. I I mean, it did sort of surprise me. I mean, like when you look at a shoot, I mean, shooters have off nights, and I, I was surprised that it's only the second time. But look, you know, again, one of those nights, he wasn't alone uh, in in missing, uh, you know, uh, shots that they would normally make. So. Uh, for the Bucks, probably one um, that they would like to forget, and and I'm I'm sure they will. They were all uh, post game pretty eager uh, to move on from this, get home um, to the cold weather. I guess. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why. I don't know why they'd be so keen to leave Arizona, but hey, they are, they can they're back now. Uh, they'll practice tomorrow and get ready for the Pacers on on Thursday night on TNT, and and I would expect a, a pretty sharp response. Yeah, I think so too. I have a I have a quick Chris Middleton take. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> are you? I guess it is. I guess it is like part, half my podcast, so I can probably just go ahead with those. Um, are you familiar with the Warriors coin term, a sixteen game player? No, but is this, is this some sort of playoff reference? Yeah, so it was either Draymond or Iggy said, you know, there's eighty two game players and there's sixteen game players, and. We're more interested in 16-game players. Talking about one or the other, I think, of those two. I'm pretty sure Chris Middleton is a 16-game player. Like, I don't – like, when Chris Middleton has a real terrible regular season night, every time, without fail, I think back to that Boston series, and I'm like, oh, no, yeah, it's – okay. He'll, it doesn't – like, this doesn't really matter. Like, this is a loss to the Suns in, what, March, early March? No one cares. At the end of a five-game road trip, four-game West Coast trip, like, it's really – like, it doesn't matter in the long term. I think – when the games matter, when it's the postseason, I think Chris is going to be there. I think he's a 16-game player. And you know what? That's really what you need if you want to be a, a, a great team. Yeah, it's interesting. I, 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 so I hadn't heard I, – I don't recall that uh, or reading that quote or um, yeah, really coming across that. But I was reading something today uh, when I was on the plane back. I was just scrolling through some stuff, and I seen that uh, Steph Curry uh, had a quote. And I, I don't have it word for word, but it was something along the lines of, well, we know that we're getting close to the playoffs, so we expect that our defensive, you know, our defensive intensity, our defensive play is going to start to ramp up now. This is this is what we're going to do, and it was funny just to hear him say that because we know that. And look, the Warriors have been there and done that; they've been doing it for the last four seasons, so um, they can afford to they can really afford to do that. But uh, again, at this point in the season, it, it's tough for for teams to to really, um, you know, just maintain that that absolute ruthless edge all season and and the bucks for the most part incredibly have been able to do that really well uh when they bounce back from losses or uh, whatever it may be but um you know they, they can have a night like that and last night there was just a lot of things that went wrong again 
you know, I don't think we 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 want to make excuses for them. I mean, they just played really poorly. There's no doubt about that. But uh, in terms of what they've been able to do consistently through uh, 60 plus games in the season, I just I just feel like they've got some credits in the, enough credits in the bank to say, all right, you had an off night. That's fine. I mean, if this if this thing really stretches out over a few more games, then you start to ask some questions. But uh, I'm definitely not hitting the early panic button right now. No, I mean, I just don't think there's any reason to. I mean, I think, I mean, I've been saying more and more lately that Bucks fans should have higher expectations. But, I mean, if you expect them to never lose two games in a row and never lose to the same game, team twice, I mean, that's those expectations might be a little too high. Yeah, for sure. And and it's, I, I don't know if this is a thing, but this is also something that I've I've thought through the season. I'm like, hey, maybe they want to lose back-to-back games now. And yeah. maybe it's better for them to do it now than get to the playoffs. And then they're on national TV and everyone is talking about the fact that the Bucks haven't lost back-to-back games. They lose back-to-back games in the playoffs. And all of a sudden this becomes, this becomes like a monster that, that, that is all over them. So that, that record's out of the way now. It's done and dusted. It doesn't, you know, it, it really didn't mean anything. They're still uh, the top of the East. Uh, the Raptors lost tonight to, uh, to, the, to the Rockets. So the Bucks again, ma- still maintain a 2.5 game lead over Toronto, which is essentially 3.5 with the with the tiebreaker. So, in terms of uh, the standings, they they haven't haven't lost any ground at all from this uh, from this little slip up. No, and no one in the East is in position to catch them. Certainly outside of Toronto, it's not been a banner run for most of the other East Eastern Conference contenders. I mean, Philly's been okay, but the rest of them have not looked like world beaters. No, no, that's for sure, and and I think we've we've touched on it, although. Uh, you know, as we're recording this podcast, the Celtics are putting a beat down on the Warriors right now. But uh, you know, again, in terms of the the standings, we've mentioned it before. It's uh, you know, it's going to be one or two for the Bucks. So uh, you would expect that it's going to be the one seed, uh, unless you know a, a real uh, slide occurs. But um, it was interesting. Like among all these games over the weekend, uh, all of a sudden, uh, John Horse went to work on uh, on Friday. Uh, with a with a with a couple of moves uh, that were finalised later on, they're actually finalised yesterday. Uh, both of these moves, but uh, Pau Gasol was the interesting one. Um, certainly not expected. And when I was trying to think, and and you and this is the thing with with the buyout market, the, there's always guys that you don't expect that sort of uh, get released out of the blue, but. Certainly, Pau Gasol was not someone that I thought was going to be available, um, but you know, clearly he, he wasn't happy with the situation there. Uh, Popovich has, has looked after him and said, "Hey, go go somewhere else." Uh, there's a few ties there, obviously the Pop- Popovich and Budenholzer connection, and also uh, Gasol, and I'll get into it in a little bit. But uh, Nikola Mirotic, one of his you know great friends, and and played in uh, the the Spanish national team together, so. Look, uh, certainly some connections there that helped push this one through. But uh, what was your uh, initial takes with Powell and, and, and what are you thinking uh, about how he's going to fit in? Did you see any of my tweets? I looked really stupid. Uh, was this when it was first announced that he was going like right be- right be- It was first announced that he was going to get bought out. And I was like, he's not going to the Bucks. They don't need him. They they're already too deep at big guys. We've discussed. I mean, they like is our DJ and 
and Miritich and Ursan are not going to be able to play, etc., etc. Like, it'd be a waste. I don't want them to take minutes from DJ. I'm already worried about DJ's minutes. And about halfway through those tweets, you know, I, I tweet a bunch of stuff and I go back and check out my notifications and, whoa, she's signing with the Bucks. And I immediately get people replying and DMing like, so this this was the the quickest cold take on earth, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, it was." I I owned myself there. I I, I admitted it. I self tweeted the drill tweet. I'm not owned. I'm not owned. As I shrink into a corn cob. <laughs> um, my real reaction though is like, I mean, it's fine if he's gonna be the fifteenth guy who plays two minutes like he did against the Suns. Like, cool. That's that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But I really, I don't know. I. I it's hard to tell him. He might have more in the tank than I gave him credit for. I looked back at his game log, and, you know, when he did get minutes, he usually was somewhat productive for the Spurs. But I don't know, man. I I, I legitimately – I do want DJ to play more because I think what he brings on defense is really valuable even when his shot isn't falling and it's something that Ersan doesn't do because we all know Ersan's one constant NBA skill is the charge. Uh, I – like I'm fine with it, but I'm a little worried about it at the same time. I, I'm pro- I'm certainly overthinking it, though. Yeah, I, I don't think that. Uh, well, my first take of this is that, or my first take was that uh, that Powell's not going to play on this team. Um, yeah. And that I may have, you know, sort of softened on that a little bit, and a big part of that is the fact that, and and you know, I, I know that this is a. Um, you know, source of some contention with Bucks fans, but Bud does love playing veterans. I mean, that's 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 what he loves to do. We see, uh, you know, he plays Ersan. I know, you know, there's been some frustration from Bucks fans with that, and George Hill's another guy that he really loves to play. So, look, I, I think that Powell, for the most part, is going to be out there, and he's going to be some real Brook Lopez insurance. And we sort of spoke about this on an earlier episode that uh, the Bucks didn't really have a genuine. Center that if Lopez does get in like quick foul trouble, it's like you're going to be totally far with putting Pau Gasol out on the floor because he is a veteran guy, he's a smart player, um, and I think he does still have something left in the tank. And and uh, you know he's he's not going to play 20, 25 minutes anymore, and he's just not going to do that on this team. But he he can he can uh, space the floor. He, he could he could shoot threes. He he was over two last night, but um, he he does fit the offense in terms of what he can bring. The question is whether, uh, you know, Bud really wants to play him again ahead of the guy that you mentioned, DJ Wilson, who again finds himself a little bit buried in the rotation, which is a little bit disappointing to see because there were certainly times last night where, where the Bucks were lacking energy and the, the Suns looked a little bit athletic that you would have really loved to throw uh, DJ out there. So all of a sudden there's a real logjam at that forward position with obviously Miritich is going to be playing major minutes the whole way through. We know that, uh, you know, Lopez obviously is locked in the rotation. Um, Ersan is at the moment got two feet in, in that position. And then you got power DJ as well. So look, I, I think the big thing really is just the fact that Powell chose to play in Milwaukee because I, I'm sure that a team like Philly could have used this guy and, and actually offered him more of a role. So uh, once again, we, we're seeing that Milwaukee is becoming a little bit of a destination, and and that's uh, it's kind of shocking to see because uh, Powell, when we asked him uh, yesterday, we got the chance to catch up with him at, at practice, and he said that 
he wasn't happy with the situation in San Antonio. He wants to play. He wants to go to a place where he's going to play. Uh, I don't know, pal. I'm like, I don't, I don't know, if, <laughs> I don't know if you are going to play all that much. But he did admit that, you know, there's been no promises made, and he understands that. But uh, he he still chose to come to Milwaukee because he he believes that this was the right spot for him, uh, and that's kind of a big deal. No, I mean, I mean, Philly. Hell, the Lakers probably would have given him like thirty minutes a night at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he definitely could have gone somewhere with more guaranteed minutes. You know, potentially someone somewhere that maybe could have even paid him more. Potentially, I, I don't know. I haven't looked at all the cap sheets for everyone. I don't think anyone has any exceptions left. But certainly, a bigger role somewhere else would have been available for Powell. It is cool, and I mean, is he the only player on the roster with championship experience? I'm going to say yes without thinking about it too hard. He must be, right? Yeah, he is. They, uh, uh, George Hill obviously was in the. Oh, George Hill was in the. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, you know, they, they really were lacking that um, that sort of, you know, real veteran experience. So I think that's going to be big. And just as a basketball fan and, and someone that really loves loves the game, it was really cool to see Pau Gasol like, just hanging out with the Bucks last night. I mean, this guy's, a, this guy's a, a, going to be a Hall of Famer. You slot him in at the end of the end of the season for a championship run. I, I, like, I mean, there's just no negatives about this. And, uh, the, you know, the, the, the funny thing about... The whole Gasol thing is he, he maybe wouldn't have come if it wasn't for Miritich and uh, yeah. and 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 Miritich actually tweeted uh, you know straight after the deal and it wasn't official but straight after the sort of leak that uh, Powell was looking at signing um, with the Bucks and I and it was it was funny the way uh, <laughs> it was funny the way that happened because I I, I mentioned to Miritich after the game so this was in Friday in LA. I said, "Oh, I seen you tweet," and he sort of started laughing, and then he he didn't really say much because I think he realized that maybe he shouldn't have tweeted that, or maybe that's <laughs> not what he should be doing. And I asked I asked Gasol the same question. I said, "Oh, I seen uh, 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 Nico's tweet the other day," and I asked him about it, and he didn't really say much. And uh, Powell started laughing straight away. Then he goes, "Oh yeah, yeah." He he realized that he fucked up, and I was like, "Okay." <laughs> and he started laughing, but. Um, it was it was a funny story the way he said it. So, um, Pau text uh, Miritich and said, "I need to talk to you." And Miritich was like, "Oh, he's like, what's wrong? Is everything okay?" And Pau's like, "I want to know about the Bucks. I'm going to get bought out. Um, is it, what's what's the place like? What are the coaches like? Is this somewhere I want to be?" And then he said, from that moment on. Miritich was texting him every half an hour, every hour saying, Hey, what are you doing? Are you coming? Like what's happening? And, uh, Powell was like, man, you just like need to leave me alone. Like stop texting me. Like there's no updates. I'll tell you if anything happens. And, uh, just like how excited Miritich was to have Powell, how much he talked up the, the box. It was incredible. And, and he mentioned yesterday, Miritich this is mentioned that he was telling Powell that this is exactly where he wants to be. This was like winning the lottery. And I asked him, I said, you, you, like, you've been here for two weeks. I'm like, what is it about this coaching staff that, that makes you say that after being here for two weeks? Uh, I'm like, how can you possibly say that? And this is this is a direct co- quote from Miritich yesterday uh, on the coaches. This is on the coaching staff. He said, the relationship they have with the players is just terrific. They all talk to the players watching the film. It's just like family. It feels like a family. Everybody is having a great relationship with each other. Everybody is happy when somebody is having success and the chemistry is great. This team cannot have the best record if they don't have great chemistry. The players and the coaching staff, they've been doing a great job and we just have to try to do our job. And it's just, 
it's an incredible quote, and and this is a big reason for why the Bucks are where they are and winning games. And um, you know, when you're in the locker room, I just I can't say how well these guys get along and how much fun they have with each other and how much they enjoy winning and playing together. It's uh, it's it's really it's it's been incredible to watch all season. And for a guy like Miritich to come in and speak like that says a lot for not only the team but but Bud and and, and his staff. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, and this is something I went on the the chase down a fellow Blue Wire pod talk. I mean, we didn't really talk that much Cavs. I, a little bit at the end, but a lot of bucks with Carter Rodriguez. Carter Rodriguez, excuse me, Carter. Um, that's tired. I know how to say. I know how to say your name, friend. But uh, that was one thing that he brought up a comparison that that I've been mulling around in my head actually is some comparisons, strong comparisons. Between the 2018-19 Bucks and the 2014-15 Warriors, and I think the everyone just loving being there, that or that, and that at this point in the comparison, I think that's definitely it fits in well. I, I would say. Yeah, and this is something that I mentioned uh, the other day to someone I was talking about the Bucks, and it's kind of a crazy thought, but when you think about those cuts, types of comments from Miritich, and and just in general the whole. Um, you know, the whole way this group has come together, it's not, I mean, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that this season may be their best shot to win a title. Because, and, and I, you know, like I, I see that, you know, some people might get frustrated by me saying that because they'll be like, well, look, Giannis is this, this age, this age, you're going to get these, but I understand that. But to, for everything to go as well as it has now, I just think that it's been too perfect so far, and and they're going to probably head into the NBA, uh, into the playoffs with the best record. And I'm not saying that they can't contend in years moving forward. I'm not saying that at all. I expect that this team is going to be a contender in the East for many years. But this may be, with everything that's happened and the way it's all come together, their best shot to win a championship may be this season. And you may look back on that in five, six years and think that this season was a missed opportunity if you don't get that. I feel like they understand that. I feel like they, they're not thinking about getting to the second round when you talk to them. They, they have the confidence to believe that they can, they can win the whole damn thing. And, you know, that, that's what's exciting about watching this team and, and following this group because they're, they're, that's where their goal is. Their goal is to win a title. And they, they understand that as well, that you don't know what's going to happen in the future. This may be the best shot. I, I would say this may be the highest ceiling for individual play on a, on a Bucks team. The only reason I, I sort of go specific with that caveat is like Katie going from being on the Warriors to being on a different team changes a whole lot in terms of who can actually win. Yeah. And I just think like him not being there, even if the Bucks got marginally worse, like if KD is not on the Warriors next year, they're – like they're they're worse by a, a noticeable measure, especially with the rest of the core aging, and I just think everything feels more wide open after that. But I I, I agree. I'm not trying to disagree. I'm really just being pedantic at this point. Yeah, and when, and and uh, just to be clear, I, I'm not even really thinking about what other teams are doing when I say that. Uh, I'm, right, right. I'm thinking about what can happen with the Bucks, and um, you know, are they always? Do they always get along this well? Is everyone always this happy? Is everyone always this unselfish? Um, you know, I, there's just a, the, the, the the dynamic. Sorry, can can change uh, 
can can change over time and and you know f- for the way uh everything's come together right now um there's just really not, nothing to complain about when you look in that locker room everyone's happy everyone's looking out for each other and everyone's enjoying each other's success and 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 that's big when you when you're trying to contend and and go through the grind of the playoffs that's huge i mean going like the grind going for the playoffs especially years and years in a row it can be stressful life can be stressful too getting life insurance shouldn't be stressful kane that's why there's ethos ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast incredibly affordable and very uncomplicated just like the bucks drama situation this year there is none it's uncomplicated at getethos.com there are no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars no hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives like Nikola Miritich. It won't be like a your Pau Gasol. These representatives are not like Nikola Miritich. They're not even there. They're not going to text you every hour. It only takes 10 minutes to apply and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. I can go for a cup of coffee right now. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S, getethos.com. One more time, that's getethos.com. Well, that was uh, another spectacular ad read. So just for the listeners, I I never really know. So I, you know, Ty, he does such a great job of it. So I, I let him roll with that, and I never know when he's going to, you know, cut to the ad read. And again, you know, I was wondering, like, we're thirty two minutes in here. I'm like, maybe he forgot. <laughs> I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't just disrespect him like that. That was, <laughs> uh, that was spectacular, but. My favorite is you always make the same like groan when I start to do it, and that's my favorite part of the whole podcast. Because as soon as I hear the word, uh, I'm just like, I know what he's doing. This is, <laughs> this is incredible. Uh, so the other, you know, while we we'll get back to the Bucks, and while we are talking about moves that they made, the other one was Eric Bledsoe earned himself a little bit of cash on the weekend. Uh, four years, seventy million dollars. Um, what was your First take on that, and, and, and where do you sit on the on the Bledsoe extension? So I liked it right away. I thought it was good right away. Uh, I think it's under market a little bit for him, and I can explain why in a little a little later. And then when I found out the last year is only partially guaranteed, I started to really like it. Um, the the one negative that jumped, I mean, there's there's always the there's the caveat like, well, if he regresses or doesn't play this well, it gets hurt. Obviously, it's not a good deal. Yeah, that's. That's pretty implied. I don't expect him to play this good for the entire deal, but I mean, if you get two more good years out of him, then in one okay year, by then you're to that last guaranteed year. So that's, I mean, that's fine. It, it is what it is at that point. The the other the other sort of negative or con or whatever to this happening right now is, I mean, all those scenarios I presented and I've looked at where you know they could keep Middleton's cap hold and Brogdon's and open up thirty plus million in room. I mean, that's all done now. That's all over. I mean. Now, if you factor in Bledsoe's contract, let's say keep everything else about that scenario the same, factor in Bledsoe's deal for, what was it, like 17-ish million, I think, a year? In the first year, at least? I don't know. I, yeah, don't... I, I think it's actually, I did have it up. I, I think it's uh, I think it's actually 15. Oh, it's 15 and it goes up. Okay. 
So 15. So 15, 15.62, 16.8, 18.1, and then 19.3 in the in the fourth year with obviously just the 3.9 uh, is guaranteed there. So, you know, the fourth year is up in the air. But, uh, yeah, 15, 16, then 18. Yeah, I mean, the 18 year is tough, but to get Bledsoe for only 54 million guaranteed is not that bad. Um, I'm interested to hear your take, but it's so you already factor that money away. And then even if you like got rid of Chris's cap hold, you'd have like less than $30 million to play with, which is not enough for a max free agent. So it pretty much feels now like the move is going to be to keep the core, which is an interesting decision to make at this point in all of this. Yeah. So I look it. it's, it's, there was so many, I had so many things going through my head with this, right? Because first of all, the dollar amount is fine. Like, it is. I mean, there was certainly some way in my head that I could see that Bledsoe would get more. Or Well, just to, I, I want to let you finish, just to cut in real quickly. I mean, if you look at the free agents this summer, the only two that are better than him that are going to be unrestricted are Kemba and Kyrie. And if you assume Kemba stays for that Supermax in Charlotte, which after not forcing his way out, he certainly is going to do that. And Kyrie is either going to go to like the Knicks, the Lakers, or stay in Boston. Those feel like the only three real, maybe like the Clippers, but he's not widely available to like any team. So then you're looking at like 25 teams in the league, their best possible unrestricted free agent point guard would have been Eric Bledsoe. So I, I could certainly see, given that scenario, him getting paid. Yeah, I could too. But if that was the case, why did he sign now? Because... I, I have to believe that that Rich Paul, I I have to believe that he knew that the market wasn't there. Because if not, why is Bledsoe signing this deal now? And you can say, well, Bledsoe just wanted to be in Milwaukee, and that's fine. But if if the difference, if someone was going to pay him over $20 million, does he want to be in Milwaukee that bad? I'm not so sure. And my feeling is that, and this is, and look, you can disagree or, or agree with this, but if Bledsoe signs now for a deal that's essentially around seventeen and a half, you know, on average per year, what would happen if if if, if that was his market and and the, the only the, the way that they believed was that he was only going to get a little bit more money than that? So they're saying, okay, look, it's roughly around here, but you can sign long term in Milwaukee. A great situation for you. You play with the honest play Milton, obviously guys that he's super close with. Uh, you know, under Bud, he knows the system. You can sign for 17.5 in, in Milwaukee right now. And he does that. But what happens if, if that's his market and and he flops in the playoffs again? Because all of a sudden, if that if his market wasn't that high in the first place and then he has another playoffs like he did last year, I, I don't know if anyone's paying him even that money. So... I, I just feel like the, the fact that this deal got done so early, I think part of it is Bledsoe wanting to be in Milwaukee, but I also think it's an indication of where his market was. And by him signing this now, he, he definitely ensures that he doesn't lose any more money in, in the playoffs if if things don't go if things don't go well. So, uh, you know, and conversely, and trust me, look, look if, if he if he plays the way he's played all, all this season and has a, has a monster playoffs, then... It's the complete opposite. The seventeen point five turns into a bargain, but I just think there's so many interesting things about this deal and and why it got done now. It was it was I mean it was a surprise to everyone, I believe. 
Yeah, I was certainly surprised. I mean, listen, it's not gonna, it's not gonna go entirely one way any, ever when a deal like this gets done. I mean, there's you only come to a, an agreement early in extension if both parties have something to gain. So clearly, that's you know that's what it, that's you you described it well. I mean, there's a chance his playoffs are bad. There's a chance his playoffs are good. And the markets, you never know what a. I mean, we've been surprised often, almost always, and what players get paid and what trade values are. I mean, I heard Terry Rogier might get fifteen million dollars a year, which to me is kind of crazy. But then again, that's from the Suns. I don't think the Suns would sign Eric Bledsoe back. Um, but I'm, I, I feel like my prevailing thing is I'm pretty fine with it. I mean, the more I looked at it, I didn't really see any flashy free agents that they could realistically go get and pair with this core this summer. Didn't really feel like any of them had like any prior history with the Bucks or any even maybe necessarily great fits that would be affordable. So at that point, you know, why not lock in the good feelings? I'm sure Bledsoe feels great now that he was able to lock this deal in. I mean, that's the goal for a lot of guys, right? You get two big deals. This is Bledsoe's second big deal, so that's great for him. Um, and he might still even get one more. I mean, he's not that old. He's 29, I think. So I, I, I'm fine with it. I like it. You know, I, I was I tweeted a meme, which is not something I do all the time, but I tweeted a meme like a week ago that it was like the the guy looking at a different girl while he's with his girlfriend, and the different girl was keeping the Bucks players on the team, and the the girlfriend was chasing free agents, and the the guy was Bucks fans, and that's kind of how I've started to feel. It's I'm, I'm I would not be against it unless the playoffs are terrible, which again we won't know now before this Bledsoe deal is signed. But unless the playoffs are awful, I'm I'm pretty with keeping this core together. Yeah, and I think we've all sort of thought that some of the other decisions are going to be based upon what happens in the playoffs and the success they have. So we're still going to see that. The interesting thing for mine, uh, you know, in how this relates to uh, another player in the Bucks roster um, is Malcolm Brogdon because, I mean, there's no way that you can pay Brogdon more than Bledsoe. I mean, you just can't do that. He's just not as good. Bledsoe is a better player than Malcolm Brogdon, and, and that's fine. Like, Brogdon's done some incredible things and, and, again, fits the system really well. We know that he's been super efficient, um, you know, playing that sort of that second guard and, and doing, doing some ball handling, doing some catch-and-shoot stuff. He, I mean, he's been unbelievable, but the Bucks aren't going to pay Brogdon more than Bledsoe. So I've, I've wondered all year about Brogdon's market. Is a team going to pay him like a second option and they want to pay him 18, 19, 20 million? I, I'm not so sure that they will. Uh, but I, I just think now that, that that deal has really set the market for Brogdon of, of where Milwaukee's going to go. And I would be surprised to see Milwaukee go, uh, you know, any higher than 14, 15. And that's just my opinion. I don't know anything about that. Um, I, I was, you know, talking with someone, not, not with the Bucks. Mm. Not not related to the to the Bucks or the franchise, but someone in the league who believed that Brogdon was not there's no chance, absolutely zero chance that he will get, um, you know, even money close to to Bledsoe. So that market's going to be interesting. But I that was one of the first things I thought uh, with the uh, with the Bledsoe deal is that it sort of set a bar for for where the Bucks might go with Brogdon. So that's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, I mean, I think one final note on contracts here and. And maybe a little bit of optimism for Bucks fans is, you know, these core players now have sort of a history of agreeing to, I mean, in two cases, well below what ended up being market value. In one case with Bledsoe to be seen. But, I mean, now we've got Bledsoe, Giannis, and Middleton, all who have, you know, negotiated and accepted new, either new or extended contracts with the Bucks. 
without really even scoping out the market for, I mean, obviously agents always make calls and determinations and whatever else, but I mean, like Middleton's deal was like the first down in free agency. Giannis's extension was very non-dramatic and both of those players certainly left money on the table. And now Bledsoe, it, it remains to be seen. He's a little older, but you know, he didn't hold out for the most money. He didn't, you know, enter some messy free agent situation as much as Rich Paul might love those. Um, he, he just signed and, and, and signed up. So I think, there's something there, and I'm not saying guys are going to take pay cuts. I'm not saying anything else. It's just something interesting to note. The Bucks front office has done well in keeping guys around that it wants to keep. You know, no one has even really tried to look around and, and leave at this point. I mean, like Thon, but I mean, like major, like Giannis, Middleton, Bledsoe players. It's I think it's an encouraging thing for your front office to be good at doing that sort of thing. Yeah, no, uh, John Horst has been, he's been working for deals this year, man. He has been on fire. Everything he's done uh, from, you know, uh, uh, creating some cap room, um, signing guys, getting guys in the buyout market, making the right decision with Jabari. I mean, he really is hardly hardly taking a step wrong uh, this year, picking up the, the DJ Wilson option that was, um, you know, heavily criticized at the time. So, look, John Horst, man, he, he is, uh, he's been on fire this year and, the only thing I'll, I'll touch on in, in terms of players taking discounts, so the only thing I will say is that it's not often that you get a player to take a discount twice. So yeah, yeah that's true. When you, when you look at Giannis and Middleton, I, I think that you know those guys, and you and you could debate. I'm not I'm not putting them in the same category in terms of talent, but uh, I wouldn't be expecting any uh any favors from either of them too when when the time comes which obviously for Middleton is only a couple of months away correct that's uh that's a good point uh certainly I think Giannis for sure is going to get whatever the most he can possibly get on his next deal without any sort of hesitation unless yeah I mean yeah Giannis might be like no it's fine I'll I'll actually take less which I, I don't expect that that wouldn't be good or bad that's just something that I mean Giannis might do you never know with Giannis but no, I, I certainly think that those two have earned a whole lot of money. Yeah, without question. And uh, I know you did have some herd stuff. It's going to have to wait. Know. Yeah, we might. We'll try and get another pot in. Uh, maybe Friday might work after the Pacers game. But uh, we have run out a little bit of time here. But the Bucks, uh, you know, facing, I don't know if you call it adversity, but first time they've lost uh, back-to-back games so they're going to uh, try to avoid uh, the disastrous uh, three-game losing streak when they return to fire serve to take on the Pacers on Thursday night it's going to be on TNT the Bucks lead the season series two to one uh, so they'll be looking for a three to one series victory over the division rivals but uh, another national TV game and and you know the Bucks perhaps might be feeling a little bit of pressure for the first time this year yeah, I mean, it's, it'll be fascinating to see how they respond to that early, le- much less significant than the playoffs later coming test. That was a horrible sentence. <laughs> well, I mean, you got through it. But we will leave it there. Uh, we'll be back after that Pacers game. But uh, this is going to be, we're going to put a wrap on, on episode five of the Eurostep. So uh, we'll be back in a couple of days and hopefully uh, be discussing the Bucks getting back on track with a win against the Pacers. That is the goal. Thank you, Kane, and thank you, everybody, for listening. <laughs>